Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present and emerging of the Kulin Nation. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, you are listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Ayan and across from me we have Zoya. Hello. George. Good morning. Jo- again, George. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Anya, good morning. And Chris. Good morning. Chris, where's your mic? We're sharing one. We got We're a sharing one, today. unfortunately. Oh, and also, you're, you're, sharing the, you're sharing the one that's a little bit rickety, so it's, I oh, think that's going to be... <laughs> great, yeah. Just like your personality, it. Chris. Yeah. Broken, yeah, okay. <laughs> wow, too soon, too soon. I love it. I feel like every week our listeners get a chance to... Hear all about our um, yeah, uh, infighting. In, in uh, in that, that was a new record Maybe as well. Sharing. That was the first ten seconds of the show. We had someone good. bully Chris. Like that. <laughs> yes. Was it Chris bullied himself? <laughs> yeah. 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 The the we, we've, mani- we've managed to bring you down so far, Chris, that you've just internalised <laughs> oh, the bullying, and now started long, long before three CR. But thank it's you. It's true. That's true. Yeah. When I met Anya. <laughs> <laughs> So how's everyone's weekend? How was your weekend? Um, I went to Meredith. How was Meredith? It was really, really fun. It was, yeah, really good music. It was, yeah, really, really great. Christina Anu was actually fantastic. Mm. My island home, Christina Anu? Yeah, yeah. She was so much fun. She sang in language as well, which was really, really great. Everyone just went off dancing to her. Yeah, it was good. She was definitely better than Liam Gallagher. Liam which, Gallagher. Yeah, from Oasis. From, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was going to say from Wonderland. Wonderland. From Wonderland <laughs> which, you know, was fun in that way of, you know, 14-year-old you finds it fun. But um, I was saying to George on our drive-in here, they could have just, frankly, they could have just, like, put on a Liam Gallagher Spotify playlist and people would have had just as much fun. <laughs> you know, there wasn't, it was just the songs and that was it. Is so. Liam the good one? or Because he's got a brother, doesn't he? I don't know. Is, is there a good one and a bad one? I don't know. I, just, I know there's a joke that the one of them like superseded the older one. And yeah. That's part of the thing. But I, I don't it's, know. It's actually an amazing documentary on it about their um, yeah. like sibling rivalry. I think one of them wrote for the band and one of, one of the other one was like the face and so it was, it was yeah. weird. It was a bit of tension. So I know, I know the tea. Yeah, <laughs> it's very funny. It's a yeah, funny yeah. Story. I should have hunted him down and had a chat with him and asked him, mm. Liam, yeah. be the good one or the bad one. Yeah, you tell me about <laughs> You're the dad. The dad. <laughs> no, sure that's 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 how he was. Uh, he was uh, advertised on the on the lineup. <laughs> the dad Gallagher. The second choice. Yeah, yeah. The Gallagher we didn't want to get. Sorry, everybody. 
All right, we don't want to be sued for defamation. So mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, keep no that was that was that was a joke. That was a joke. He was actually heaps of fun. It was Meredith in general was yeah, it was fun. It was it was a good weekend. Mm. So you know. what's Meredith for those of us who don't know? Ah, uh, it's just a music festival. But let's not talk oh. too much about it because it's going to sort of veer into advertising for Meredith, which yeah. is not what we're oh, trying right, to do. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's not what we're trying to do at all. <laughs> just music festivals in general are fun. We're a radio station. We love music. They're just yeah, okay. they're really really good. All right. Cool. Well, we have an amazing lineup of content today. Um, so we're obviously kicking it off with Chris, but before Chris gets on the mic, um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about what's been happening in Samoa with the measles outbreak. And then George has put together another incredible content of human rights badassness. Sure, yeah. Yeah, a short one? <laughs> a short one, yeah. A short yeah, one. Just a few things if we have time. Yeah, and then after, what's after that? Um, well, I love how everyone looked to me. Um, Lizzo. So we're going to talk about an incident that happened with Lizzo at the LA Lakers game. So Lizzo, we've played her songs before. She's a singer, and apparently she's a rapper as well. Mm. I did not know she rapped. Yeah, me neither. That's news to me. Anyways, she wore... She can do everything. She can do everything. Lizzo. She's an amazing human. So she wore a certain outfit and... Um, it caused controversy, so I'm going to look at that and and try to show you that it's it's about fat phobia rather than her attire. Mm. And then after that, I've tracked down some audio from the the climate change conference that has been happening in the last couple of days, and the protest that was going on. And Democracy Now, they they recorded some audio and they interviewed some of the delegates. So we're going to hear a little bit of that and I guess kind of links to last week's discussion around human rights and the effectiveness because coming out of that it's sort of been viewed as a bit of a failure and that they didn't really reach any kind of consensus and so it's sort of interesting to hear, yeah, on the ground Mm. what was going on at that time. Mm. And And then after that we have an interview, we have our regular queer space slot we have Ali Hogg who has come onto the show before talking about a really great Christmas breakfast that queer space do every year on Christmas mm. day mm. and then we're wrapping up with uh, a chat with Sissy Austin who full disclosure I work with and who's also a member of the First People's Legislative Assembly and she'll be talking about what the assembly is hoping to achieve and how um, it fits into the treaty process and her personal journey in it Mm. Should we go to the news? Yeah, yeah. It sounds it sounds like a terrific <laughs> show. It's <laughs> gonna jump in and go share. <laughs> um, switch. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, as George kind of and it, it it kind of ties into what we're doing a bit later. But I, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about the yeah, UN cool. conference because Australia helped tank it, which is um, pretty wild. When we, you know, part of our whole thing is why we say we can increase emissions. We're second highest polluting you know, country per capita on Earth. Um, uh, the Part of the justification that the coalition always brings out is like, oh, we're just, you know, we're just a small little country. We can't do anything. It doesn't matter what we do, um, which is like childish behavior anyway, because like everybody has to do their bit. Otherwise so we're just infantilizing happens. ourselves. Yes, constant infantilizing, like very, very childish and selfish and not true because we count, if you include exports, it's something like 5% 
of global emissions. Yeah. Um, so we're just gaslighting the global community. Absolutely. And ourselves, because when, you know, critics, when people interview them, they're like, no, no, we're just, you know, it's all on China. China's got to do it all. It's actually China's, you know, got a billion and a half people or something. Um, but we also, not only could we be doing our bit, but we also helped tank this agreement that basically I, I think what a lot of the conference was about was agreeing on, like, a global carbon market. Mm. And Australia helped kill that. Along, it wasn't just us, it was also Brazil, the US, and possibly a few other smaller countries. But um, we got global condemnation because we're trying to use like a cheat. It's a very, it's like a Howard, you've got to go all the way back to John Howard to see how we're doing this. But basically, John Howard secured this such horrible target for 2020, I think it was, that like we got Australia, according to the then, the uh, Kyoto Agreement. Mm we could increase emissions. You know, whatever the number was, we could just keep increasing until 2020. And because we got such a, like, an incredibly terrible target, uh, we've... The fact that, like, we'll kind of, like, just go past that. The current coalition government is trying to use... They're trying to use a cheat that they've invented. No other country on Earth is doing this. They're trying to use a, a system that they take whatever we miss this awful target by and use that for the next 2030 target, mm. which basically slashes it in half. Instead of 28, 26 to 28%, we only have to do 16% of emissions on 2005 levels. Uh, all of this is a very technical way of saying that Australia is trying to cheat the global community. Uh, that's helped. I don't think that was the... the I think that's kind of why we did it, but we, we formed a, a part of, like... Brazil had their own reasons, US had their own reasons, but uh, we we helped, yeah, kill this agreement that, you know, the, the talks went into two days of extra overtime. Yeah. They came to a very sad compromise where ba basically they're like, we'll keep talking about it next year. So next year, the coalition will have to try and defend this. One, I think it was like 100 countries, like, petitioned against Australia to use a carrier. I think they call it carryover credits, but um, it's really just a cheat. Like, we'll call it out for it. It's... um. Uh, so that was that's something to pat ourselves on the back. Mm -hmm. uh, and amongst all that, we've also got um, bushfires on in Western Australia, New South Wales, as we have for weeks. It's horrific. Um, Sydney, parts of Sydney are still covered in smog. Uh, we're going to get heat waves today. Uh, the rep for for another week or so at least. We're going to get historic temperatures in Ad Adelaide. Will be forty something. Uh, Victoria, New South Wales, um, I think tomorrow parts mm. of New South Wales, Victoria will be worse mm. than South Australia. It's going to be like mid-40s. Mm. Melbourne, so even we need to watch out. We're going to get into the 40s, I think, Thursday, possibly. Friday. Yeah, mm. Thursday, Friday. Um, and then amid amidst all this, like, mm. we're seeing the consequences of climate change. We're doing everything to stop action on climate change. Uh, Scott Morrison's gone for a vacation to Hawaii. So that's that was a, mm. could be a fun one to end on. That like course, we're not we're not positive where he's actually gone, but he's definitely pissed off. Like from Sydney, which is yeah. that's where yeah. like you know these this kind of smog that they've never they've really never seen. You know, wow. and he parts of it are still on fire. He said deuces. I'm, I'm taking a break. Yeah, I'm taking a break. Uh, and look, all these fire chiefs they're gonna want. I think the Guardian's top story today is that they're holding like a, a global or an Australia wide summit, but because they're gonna do it by themselves because the PM refuses to meet. And partly because he's off on holiday, because he just doesn't want to, like, you know, just, face that consequence. Just, just to play devil's advocate is very, very standard for members of cabinet to take the Christmas break off and go away somewhere because they don't get to do it any other time of year. They don't tend to do it any other time of year. So often from around the 27th 
20, I mean, this is very early, but from around this time to just after the new year, it is very common for the leader to take time off. So he's not actively taking this time off to escape this. Let's, let's, no. let's make sure we're balanced about this to this extent. No, he's totally. Not, that, that he's not going away in order to escape this, but it's mm. a very useful timing mm. and definitely yeah. it's being used in this way. It's not a good look. It's, it's, not, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a good yeah, look, but I mean, this is his usual annual yeah. holiday. Totally. Yeah, and, and that's what we're saying, the fact that he, for him it's just another day. Well, like it's, it's exactly that's exactly yeah yeah really it's a, it's a, at a time of national crisis it yeah. is an extremely yeah. terrible look. Imagine he, he if Julie Gillard yeah. went on holiday during. Oh, she just went for a lunch. Remember when, during the last fires, she went for a lunch and that became was it? No, oh, someone else. Yeah, it was a was it, was it the, Christine the commissioner. Yeah, yeah. Just no. went for I went out for lunch. Didn't even go overseas. Went right. out for a lunch during mm. a fire, and yeah. that became a huge. Oh yeah, absolutely. Media he thing. shouldn't be taking holiday. I, mean, I he should remember. Be here. Yeah. God, that was yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons she didn't lose her job because of that. But apparently, her the way people saw her yeah. after like the, that just changed because the media was vicious yeah. as well. To, yeah, to go, we really yeah. are. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Us, it's just <laughs> us. Oh, we're mean to kill. Uh, we just entered into a new post-apocalyptic age where it's just totally okay for, you know, that's just completely normal. Of course, he's going. I mean, look at me. I, I, yeah. I was like, oh, that's fine. He's going on holiday. No way. A second. If, yeah. If well, it's like it's unprecedented, and it's just weird yeah. that he's pretending that everything's kind of normal, you know, and that he's yeah he'd leave the country during that time. Oh gosh. Yeah, not surprising, but there you go. Yeah. So we might go to a song now. Uh, we've played a few tracks from Rebecca Hatch, but she has released a new song in the last month or so, and this one is called Brown Girl Chronicles. Heard a little story about a young girl. She was 18, brown skinned, with the curls. Made it from the area of all the stereotypes. And if you wanted, I might tell them to pass in the mic. I don't want to Oh, if you approve. Can I rest my doubt? If I can make it on the scene, does that make classes out? Cause looking out from the minority, I see We see the gaps in the authority Issue in the system that's been written, no permission You can mask it with my purity and my face My insecurities creeping up out of space Sometimes I'm still tripping on my own shoelace But I stand up anyways and I pay for my race Cause gonna take a Naps and having dreams. I think my mama, cause where would I have been? And I just wanna influence my generation's teens from the area streets. Where we're way into the scene. I don't want you to think that I'm anything more. We grew up together, I'll be there when you call. And I hate to see my parents go for scraps on the floor. Whether we can build together, you can knock on my door. Heard a little story about a young girl. She was 18, brown skin with the curls. Made it from the area all the stereotypes, and if you want it, I might tell them to pass in the mic. Don't take a
take a leap when the grass is high and the water's deep. Cause we don't rely on wet. Done by Law. Brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Welcome back. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. So as we mentioned earlier, um, we are going to touch on what's been happening in Samoa with the measles outbreak. So since December 2018, there's been an increase in confirmed cases of measles. As the months have passed, so has the number of cases. The situation was declared an epidemic on 16th of October of this year and a 30-day state of emergency was called by the government of Samoa on 16th of November. Currently, there are 73 confirmed deaths in Samoa. It's been reported by the New York Times there are approximately 3,900 cases of measles in a country of 200,000 people. So how did this situation start? Well, it's believed um, it, well, it's believed to have originated in New Zealand and then spread to Samoa as well as other n- neighbouring regions, including Fiji and Tonga. The outbreak has been linked to Samoa's poor vaccination rates. Those most vulnerable are children between the ages of six months to four years and pregnant as well as pregnant women who have not been vaccinated. Vaccinations are now mandatory in Samoa. There was a case earlier in the year that made things worse and really highlights the fear that some communities have about vaccinations. So two infants died hours apart after being injected with the MMR vaccine, um, which stands for mumps, measles and rubble. The nurses who administered that vaccine were charged with manslaughter because they incorrectly mixed an expired anesthetic with vaccine powder. Um, this story is obviously about negligence, but you can just imagine the type of fear it, it would create in an, or, in an already cautious community. Um, not making matters easier are anti-vaxxer campaigners who are adding their two cents and creating havoc for the community. Um, it's also very important to stress that racialized communities have a complicated history with the medical profession. Whether it's African-American slaves whose bodies were prodded and dissected without their consent or 
the forced sterilization of Aboriginal girls, there are legitimate reasons why communities of colour may be suspicious of healthcare professionals. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. Thank you um, for that update, Ayan, about the measles outbreak in Samoa and before we go to a song we were just kind of having a little chat about it back and forth during that community service announcement and Anya brought up the point that there's a couple of cases of measles that have just come up in Melbourne just in the past week or so and we're talking about the differences in the reasons why people might not be vaccinated and you know there's the point the very very good point that um, Ion made about the mistrust of um, communities of colour of medical professionals and what they might, you know, do to them because of the long, long, long history of, of abuse and and experimentation as well in many ways. But in Melbourne, it's or in Australia, it's a very different case because in Australia, so many of the people who aren't vaccinated are often um, I. I I believe I saw something recently that the highest cases are in the most in some of the most privileged areas around Australia. It's like Northcote, I think that area mm. in, the, in, the, in the in the in the north Northcote? has like yeah has like oh, no. really high rate. Some yeah in that vicinity mm. uh, has the highest rate. Yeah, Melbourne, I think of anti-vaxxer children. Yeah, and then yeah. there there are quite a few areas out in sort of um, sort of semi semi country, but those sort of privileged. Um, you know what? What are they called? Tree change communities of oh. of wealthy people who move further out to get more space, sure. and and refuse to vaccinate their kids, and they are overwhelmingly white communities. And there's just this sense of of privilege that people have because they they're not they haven't been exposed to those illnesses because everyone else gets vaccinated. They think that they can make it a choice, and it's the it's the hubris of white privileged communities that these medical decisions are a choice but but ultimately they're not a choice because you're you're doing it not just to protect yourself you're doing it to protect other people and that's the thing to remember we vaccinate because we need to get herd immunity mm. because there are many people who can't be vaccinated children mm. pregnant women people with allergies to certain vaccinations people with allergies to eggs can't have a lot of vaccinations not to maintain not to mention the blatant ableism that accompanies this vaccism exactly you know, debate about you know an autistic child is worse than a, a child with measles is the understanding behind it isn't it yeah, yeah. people don't vaccinate because they're afraid their children will get autism which is based on entirely false testimony yeah, from a doctor firstly, who has proven to yeah. proven to have lied yeah you know 
a, over a decade ago back in the UK and yet still somehow that false mm. that that false testimony is is held through because he was a doctor you know quote unquote well he was a doctor but frankly if you're going to lie like that really mm. what right do you have to call yourself a doctor yeah. And yeah, and then absolutely that interact with ableism of going, oh, I'd rather my kid got measles than my kid has autism. Exactly. And yeah, this is not a plug or anything, but Hannah Gadsby, her latest <laughs> show, is about this. So wait till it drops on Netflix. Because mm. she, she's autistic and she talks about, she takes a real stab at the anti-vaxxers. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, so moral of the story is vaccinate Absolutely, absolutely vaccinate. But as as Ayan said, remember as well. Let's not criticise many people who who may may not vaccinate because of mm. very complicated interactions with racism and colonialism. And so Zoya's picked a track for us. What are we listening to? Yes, we're going to be listening to "Sunshine on a Rainy Day" by Christina Anu because I want to feel like I'm back on a hill watching music in the sunshine. <laughs>
Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here with us, uh, Aboriginal Radio, and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here I'd like to say thank you for all for coming um, helping, giving us a chance to do this it's really good, you know, it's been going for a while now hopefully it goes, it keeps going you know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners We can't blame everything on the external so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family if you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Um, the time is 7.30 in the morning. Just then we had Sunshine on a Rainy Day by Christine Arnoux. And before that, we had George. What was the song? Which went for George's mic to turn on? You can tell us. Uh, that was Rebecca Hatch with Brown Girl Chronicles. That was Up a really coming artist. Yeah, <laughs> really, really good. Super exciting. I, uh, yeah, no, I love that you were you, you said up and coming artist because look, we need to know where she's at <laughs> in her career. Yeah, yeah, she's like she's so young. She's like she's like eighteen or something, and she's oh already gosh. released three. 18? Oh my yeah, god, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like that's like Billie Eilish. I realised how young she was when she said that she thought. She only just recently realised when the Spice Girls went on tour that they were actual people and not characters created for the Spice World movie. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, these are the people who are the cultural tastemakers now. I am, I am officially past it. I never have any hope of becoming some kind of big cultural icon. Never, <laughs> not that I ever wanted to, you know. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, oh, now speaking cool. of cultural icons, look at that segue that we did. <laughs> nice. Yes, nice. speaking of cultural icons, thank you, Zoya. Um, so we just want to talk about um, what recently happened, as we mentioned earlier, with Lizzo. So last week, singer and rapper Lizzo um, made headlines when she went to a Los Angeles Lakers game wearing a long T-shirt that was cut out in the um, butt cheeks, revealing her thong. Um, When her song, Juice, came on, Lizzo got up to dance and in a moment of ecstasy, turned around and dropped it for a little twerk. And I say a little twerk. Um, Famous people dressing provocatively isn't new. So from Madonna to Rihanna to Fifth Harmony, we've seen celebrities express their creativity through their fashion choices. However, once the celebrities I just listed do it, they're called daring, sexy and brave. But when Lizzo twerked at the stadium, she was met with online wave of trolling and calls to ban her. So what is the difference? 
Well, the difference is that Lizzo is fat, black and female. She embodies what I like to call the holy trinity of disdain. Lizzo's critics claim her outfit was inappropriate for a basketball game. Apparently, basketball games are a family domain. Um, but what these folks conveniently overlook is that cheerleaders who dance at every game wear little more than undies and crop tops, which is totally fine. But why the selective outrage? Is this really about protecting family values, whatever that means, or something more? So I want to play a short clip from the podcast The Nod, which everybody should get onto. The clip is from the episode Fearing the Black Body and is an interview with academic and author Sabrina Strings. Sabrina explores the link between fat phobia and racism. Sabrina is the author of the book Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia. About what I had witnessed in my own my time, what I saw was that hmm. there was this tremendous phenomenon of dieting that was largely amongst white Americans that appeared to be trickling in to communities of color. A lot of second wave feminists are asking why women are on diets, but I was asking why white women were on diets. I thought, you know, there's an element of whiteness that is integral here that people are not paying attention to. Mm. I was particularly investigating the thin ideal. So I found myself mm -hmm. going back further and further in time to try to find, okay, but when did this begin? When did this begin? And I finally landed on Cosmopolitan magazine from the late 19th century, prizing slenderness, but making it very clear that they thought that slimness was an index of racial belonging. So they would say things like, she's, you know, a Scotch Highlander, so tall and slim, you know, with green eyes. They had these very clear delineations of what it meant to be Irish or Nordic or Scotch and how that played out in a woman's figure. I want to go back even further back in time and talk about this particular magazine that caught my eye when I was reading your book. It's kind of, it kind of feels like the OG American women's magazine. And it's mm -hmm. called Godie's Ladies Book. Yes. Godie's Ladies Book was the top women's magazine in the 19th century. It began in the 1830s. The 1830s was a critical time for a number of reasons. First of all, we're starting to see a greater influx of Irish Catholics coming to an Anglo-Saxon Protestant nation. So already we have mm. this tension with immigration. It was also coming on the heels of a religious revival in America. Protestantism was cropping up in a variety of new places, and there was an intense fervor about it. And the first editor of Godey's was someone who was a proud Anglo-Saxon Protestant who was involved in these revivals. This woman's name is Sarah Josepha Hale. Sarah Josepha Hale was born in New England, and she was devoted to the idea that she could educate the next generation of elite and well-behaved Anglo-Saxon girls. And so what she wanted to write about was how to be a proper middle-class American lady. And to her, mm -hmm. that involved being a good Christian, as you might expect. She wanted to yeah. be able to detail what are the qualities of a good Christian. Well, you know, a good Christian would take care of her children and listen to her husband. And a good Christian woman would also show restraint in the face of food and drink. They would call it temperance at the table. 
Wait, so how how common like would a sentiment like that be, have been in a way like don't you shouldn't really be drinking too much. You shouldn't really be drinking at all. But also <laughs> you shouldn't be eating too much because that's like the godly way. How common was that sentiment in magazines back then? Oh, it was extraordinarily common. One of the things that they often like to suggest was that a person couldn't be fashionable and be fat. That right? sounds familiar. And so there was a way, <laughs> right? And so there was a way in which this whole like notion of like being a good Christian also filtered very readily into notions of being a, a fashionable American. You know, you've got to be able to fit into these clothes that the designers are producing. A lot of what we saw in Godey's was then later reproduced in various magazines like uh, Harper's Bazaar in the mid 19th century and then also Cosmo in the late 19th century. They picked up that very same strain. So Godey's Ladies Book, the shorthand I've been using for it is sort of like it feels like the goop of the time. It's like the original <laughs> goop. It's like essentially a newsletter that's yeah. going out aimed at white middle class women trying to give them ideas and standards for sort of how to live their lives. I say this as a black woman who is barely middle class because I live in New York, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who has been a like, honestly, since its inception, a goop subscriber is this sort of very kind of like um, a combination of like. Uh, expert driven and homespun advice that's meant to help you live a quote unquote better life. And the thing about Godey's is that it was a really old magazine. Mm -hmm. Vogue and Cosmopolitan are also really old magazines. It's easy to forget how old the tradition is of using women's magazines to tell women how to live their lives, but also like they can sort of be these vehicles for kind of dangerous ideas. We think about magazines as a form of entertainment, but these have been far more consequential than we've appreciated. When I first started doing this research, I was being encouraged to look at women's magazines, and I thought, but that's not what scholars do. You know, why would I look at these women's magazines? Like, who cares what women's magazines would have presented? And it wasn't until I came across the racial discourse that I realized, oh, actually, this was one of the few outlets where women, especially white women during the time, could see themselves reflected. You know, this mm. is before women even had the right to vote. If they wanted to hear about their own concerns, a women's magazine was probably the one place where they could see that. And so it did end up being very consequential culturally and in the lives of women. I, I want to talk about like one specific essay that you talk about in your book that comes from Godey's Ladies book called Chapter on Female Features. So it seems like it was like a lengthy essay written by a woman named Lee Hunt, who had submitted this article to be printed in, in Godey's. It seemed like this this specific essay, chapter on female features, was a little bit different than some of the ones that had been published previously. Mm -hmm. Lee Hunt wanted to make it very clear, not just that it's important for Anglo-Saxon Protestant women to eat little and to maintain trim physiques, but that if they were to overeat, they would slide into the grotesque association with African women. According to Lee Hunt, mm. if you want to be fat, you would need to go to Africa because in Africa, their women are prized at what would approximately today be considered 300 pounds. To the readers, the audience that she's writing for, they're supposed to be triggered by hearing that, oh, not only is overeating improper for my race, but then I become associated with black women because fatness is only prized in Africa. And so this essay, it, it seems like it's drawing this line in the sand. They're big. We're not. Yes, exactly. This is one of the things I talk about in the book, which is race being a double agent. We know that race is used 
to denigrate people of color. But we don't mm. often pay attention to the fact that race is also being used to discipline white people. And especially in this instance, white women. It's a way for them to be reminded of the fact that they're of the, quote, superior race. And therefore, there are different rules, different types of discipline that obtain to their bodies. I feel like it's just like such a high stakes thing to put in a women's magazine. It's just sort of like, do you want to be out of favor with God? Do you want to be fat? Do you want to be black? (laughs) Get in line. (laughs) These are the stakes for you. Yeah. But like this essay, it seems like it was kind of like the first of its kind, tying the godliness to the thinness to the to the whiteness. What changed? Well, then you have, especially by the time something like Harper's Bazaar was gaining in popularity, there were a Mm -hmm. lot more women who were writing into the magazine trying to figure out what would be the best way to lose weight. What's the diet that I should Mm. adopt if I want to be slender? You keep people thinking that one thing is wrong, but there are all these different new ways cropping up as to how to solve the problem that, well, you yourself have created in a sense. It's like a content cycle. It's like a perfect content cycle where it's like you put the fear of God, literally the fear of God yeah. to somebody about maintaining their figure so they can maintain their status in white society. And it's like a white Christian lady. And then they write into you asking you, okay, so what do I do? Like, how do I stay thin? How do I lose weight? What should I do? Yeah. And then you can just like, you can write a million more articles about eating crackers or seltzer water or Kellogg's cereal. One of the more popular diets was actually something that was popularized by an 18th century uh, Scottishman by the name of George Shane, who suggested that people should adopt a milk-based diet. And so what you start to see in Harper's are these very same ideas that women could, you know, maintain the proper physique for God by drinking largely milk. A milk diet. That sounds about as ridiculous as eating cabbage soup for breakfast, lunch and dinner or replacing two thirds of your summertime. Summertime brings wine. Pass me my Prosecco. Out on the patio. This year's delicious Radical Radio wines are generously sponsored by Breast's Winery in the Harcourt Valley. Specially priced at only $20 a bottle and even cheaper by the dozen or half dozen. You can order via phone or online and collect it from 3CR during business hours up until noon on Tuesday the 24th of December. Perfect as a gift or to fill a raised glass to toast 3CR. Call the station during business hours on 9419 8377 to order or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Breast Wines is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. The time is 7.44 in the morning. Um, We just listened to an excerpt from the Nod podcast talking about the intersection between fat phobia and racism that Ayan played to connect with a really interesting dissection that she did of the fat phobia directed towards Lizzo when she wore a an outfit at a Lakers game that was de- deemed to be too revealing for a quote-unquote family environment. I thought it was really, really interesting. I thought that podcast was, what they were talking about was utterly fascinating. And while it was playing, we were chatting about it and kind of saying how it always just comes down to racism and capitalism and the control 
of bodies. And one of the things that I thought about, because they spoke about on the podcast, the presenters spoke about Protestantism and the interaction between Protestantism and fat phobia. And it really made me think of the, the origins of Protestantism, one of the, the connection between Protestantism and capitalism, especially between Calvinism and capitalism, because the idea of Protestantism, Protestantism is that there isn't that idea of original sin and then you try and repent in order to get into heaven and that to get into heaven it's through repenting and doing your Hail Marys and all that kind of thing that's connected with Catholicism. Instead, it's called, um, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's called something like uh, predetermination. And effectively, when you're born, it is determined whether or not you're going to end up in heaven or not. And then there was this dilemma amongst the Protestants of like kind of, well, how do we know if we're going to get into heaven? And they were like, oh, well, if our lives are successful, if we're wealthy and we have lots of money, then clearly we're going to get into heaven. So there's this valorization and this connection between wealth and being a good person. And that connects so closely as well with being an ideal body and being a good person because if you are you know if if you if you're blessed with the ideal body if you're blessed with being able-bodied if you're blessed with being white or whatever that connects with the value of then you're going to get into heaven and it just it mm. feels that that connection between the fat phobia racism capitalism mm. just you know it's just all coming up through there and i thought that was just yeah and then you connect it with things like nazi propaganda and 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 um, you know, Stalinist state propaganda and the ideal bodies that they presented in that, that these like big, strong, white, slim, whatever ideal bodies. I thought, I thought that was, yeah, I, I could, I could go on for a, for, for a while. I mean, especially when we start thinking about the sexualization of black bodies and, and, and all of that. And, and I thought the Kellogg's cereal comment was very interesting about dieting on Kellogg's cereal because do we know the origin of Kellogg's cereal? Kellogg created it as a way to try and stem people's um desire to self-pleasure because he believed that it was that that was morally repugnant and so it's all this connection dieting control of body sexualization capitalism racism all coming together to kind of control each other i thought that was utterly fascinating and then we have lizzo come along and do something utterly awesome like you know what 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 award award ceremony was it where she had the huge blow-up bum that was like oh, yeah. it was amazing that was like twerking like she was Wasn't dancing AMAs. It was some music awards yeah recently, and yeah. it was utterly incredible like yeah. and people just don't like it because it's, she's an uncontrollable body mm. in more in so many different ways mm. which is why she's amazing <laughs> yeah and so coming up now so I, so I unselected a Lizzo track for us to hear this is good as hell I do my head toss check my name Baby, how you feeling? Head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Woo, child, tired of the bullshit. Gone, dust your shoulders off. Keep it moving, yes, Lord. Trying to get some new shit in there. Swimwear, going to the pool sheet. Come now, come dry your eyes. You know you a star, you can touch the sky. I know that it's hard, but you have to try. If you need advice, let me simplify.
Listening to Tuesday Breakfast on Tracia. That was, of course, Lizzo with Good as Hell. Apparently, it came out in 2016, which we're quite surprised about. Mm, yeah. So, we're going to jump straight into some audio from Democracy Now! They did some recording at the Climate Summit protests at the 2019 Climate Change Conference. And they spoke with Indigenous leaders and delegates from the Global South Stage dramatic protest. So, we'll jump into that now. There's a proper introduction there for you as well. Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman. We're broadcasting here inside the UN Climate Summit in Madrid, Spain. Hundreds of protesters are right behind me, just next to our set, calling for climate justice. You can hear the chants. Uh, you can hear what they are saying. They are chanting. They've got banners. Um, we are joined here on the set by two of the people who are participating in the protest. Um, among those with us are the executive director of the Indigenous Environmental Network, Tom Goldtooth, and Friends of the Earth International's Corrine Nansen, here to tell us what's going on. Tom, can you describe for us what you're seeing right behind us? Because I think people are about to give speeches. Yeah, this is a really uh, an interesting moment where many of the civil society who are credentialed to come into these halls of the United Nations are very concerned of again about the corporate takeover of these halls, that this has nothing to do with addressing uh, global warming, climate change. It has everything to do with trading mechanisms. So the people here, NGOs, indigenous peoples, all come together, the Gender and Women Caucus, really and demanding that there be real solutions, not false solutions and that the industrialized countries of the North really need to pay up on a climate equity issue over loss and damage issues in the Global South. So one of the issues that we are saying as indigenous peoples with the indigenous Minga, the indigenous people that came on the outside of this venue at the Cumbre Social, is that this planet is nothing but a grab for CO2 colonialism. So what we saw in the streets the other day in the mass mobilization, the march, the indigenous peoples who came here from Chile, came here from Ecuador, from Colombia, from Brazil, and us from the north standing with them to denounce and link climate capitalism with neoliberalism, with imperialism, and, you know, with the same policies coming out of the United States, a denouncement of this uh, insanity that wants to prioritize Mother Earth. And from you, Tom Goldtooth, I want to go back to Congressman Conniff for just one minute. If you can comment on the issue of the climate crisis and what the U.S. is doing about it. Well, Amy, I saw your exchange with Mayor Bloomberg, and I was shocked. I mean, here you were giving him an opportunity to address 
the largest crisis in the world. And your question was so fair. You were asking him, what would you do to deal with the systematic inequality around the world and the climate crisis? I believe that we need to deal with the inequity in education, the inequity in health care, the inequity in housing, the inequity in child care and early development. And that's what the U.N. Development Report calls for. That's what many progressives in Congress are calling for. We have some of the greatest wealth inequality we have seen since the Great Depression. We need a program of public investment in people's potential. And we also need, as Secretary Kerry and I outlined in the New York Times, a real plan for us to invest in renewable energy and have a way for America to lead. So I appreciate you raising that issue with all of the presidential candidates. Uh, Kareen Nansen, if you can describe also what's happening and why you're here. Your T-shirt says Justicia Climatica. Yes, we are defending climate justice, which means calling on countries and the developed countries to take on their responsibility and urgently act by cutting emissions at source. They are now trying to sell the idea that carbon markets can solve the climate crisis. And this is not true and has been proved throughout the world. Because the idea that selling the license to pollute could really cut down the emissions is totally false. It's really to make business out of a deep crisis that is affecting the lives and livelihoods of so many people around the world, mainly indigenous peoples and the communities that have done less to generate the crisis. So what they are aiming for is really to take control over our livelihoods, over our territories. Carbon markets are not just a false solution. They are really a deep threat to the communities all over the world whose livelihoods depend on the forest, on the rivers, on their land for survival. And this is something we are really rejecting because it means more and more corporate power. Those who have been polluting, who, those who are responsible for the crisis, want to make business out of the crisis and want to commodify nature and want to take control over our systems, our livelihoods and our systems. And we cannot allow for that. And as Tom was saying, the North is not neither willing to pay for their historical responsibility. They are not willing to pay for the loss of damage that is already taking place all over the world and affecting communities. It means the lives of peoples. And this is not taken care for in this conference. So that's why we are joining forces from outside and inside the COP to make sure that our voices are heard, that we bring the message forward so also the whole uh, population uh, and the whole world understand that we are being set into a trap. And in fact, third world countries are being pushed into the corner to, to accept these carbon markets because they are not even offered any finance for the loss and damage. So we are calling also on our countries not to accept carbon markets. We think it's fundamental to, ex to understand and listen to the communities on the ground that are suffering the impacts of climate change. We cannot allow to keep you know, giving license to pollute and to continue to destroy the environment. And the crisis is here now. They need to act now. It's really taking the lives of so many people around the world and displacing people from their territories, from their communities, 
and destroying their livelihoods. Tom, I want to go back to you, and then we're going to hear the speakers. The people behind us are shouting, shame, shame. The people united will never be defeated in Spanish and English. Uh, they're also saying, uh, what do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it now? What climate justice means? Right now, this is a historical moment because in the environmental and climate justice and social justice movement right here today we are standing here with international climate action network can international and those are some of the largest ngos that weren't on the same page on lifting up fault solutions but they're here today because there is a movement lifting up the injustice, environmental racism, the inequity frame that's existing in these halls. Uh, it's ironic that as indigenous peoples here, our caucus has been lobbying and fighting for language on rights of indigenous peoples. The, the human rights NGO has been trying to strengthen human rights language. It's ironic within the UN because now in UNFCCC here, they're recognizing our traditional knowledge, but it's, they're not recognizing the rights of indigenous peoples. So it's raising some serious question. Why is it that they're after recognizing, after, uh, they're after our traditional knowledge? We're saying also our traditional knowledge is not for sale. So it's linking up this issue right now, this movement also is lifting up the, the importance of the territorial integrity of Mother Earth, that Mother Earth is a living entity that we have to be really serious here as civil society negotiators on flipping the script on how it looks towards its relationship to that sacredness of Mother Earth. That's what we have also been demanding here is a, a new level of negotiation that recognizes the values of how we are living, our capitalism, our economy. That's what this is. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. I hope you enjoyed that audio, a really lively protest at the Climate Change Conference. And uh, a what's the democracy now? Amy Goodman. Amy Goodman. Our friend. Ayan's <laughs> best friend. Speaking with Indigenous leaders and delegates. I think uh, you can hear, we'll, we'll share that link and you can hear the rest of that audio, there were some other speakers that we interviewed on their thoughts about the conference. But I sort of thought it would be fitting to play a Rebel Diaz track. This one, so Rebel Diaz, for those of you who don't know, a Chilean hip-hop group. And this track is called Why I'ma Give Thanks. And it's it was made, it was inspired by Standing Rock and the Indigenous self-determination and struggle. Just a content warning and a language warning on this one, uh, content warning for sexual violence, colonization, imperialism, basically all forms of domination are sort of mentioned in this track. Thanks, huh? Why I'ma give thanks, huh? 
Silly shooters with blanks, huh? Cause they blankets with lace, huh? Why I'ma give thanks? Why they continue to rape us, huh? Why I'ma give thanks, y'all? Straight in the black snake, huh? Fuck bangers, we native. Fuck pilgrims, they rapists. Fuck schools, they erase this. Fuck Trump and his racist. No devil is real. Someone don't get killed, shit. We all gon' pay that bill if that pipeline get built. Water is life. Drill, baby, drill. Y'all wanna kill, go to kill. But please do it to yourselves. Don't make this living your hell. Don't take humanity with you. Some of us see that through the picture. If we gon' fix it, gotta fix us. Be one with nature. Give thanks to that creator. Water, protect us. The teach water, protect us. Open her, expect us. Yeah. That was Rebel Diaz with Why I'ma Give Thanks. It was inspired by the Standing Rock, um, but by Standing Rock and Indigenous Self Determination and Struggle.
And up now, we have an interview with um, a 3CR breakfast regular now, I suppose, Ali Hogg from Queer Space. Good morning, Ali. Good morning. Ali, why don't you tell us just quickly uh, who you are, what you do at Queer Space? Yep. Um, so I'm Ali Hogg. I have been at Queer Space for nearly a year. And I do a whole bunch of things there from communications to helping the CEO get things done (laughs) and a bit of project work and events organizing. Um, And, yeah, yeah, the first thing that got me um, into Queer Space was actually working to organize a Christmas breakfast last year. So, yeah, it's a bit of a reunion for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah so today you're in to talk about mm-hmm. um, the Christmas breakfast that Queer Space are going to be hosting that we spoke, yeah, we spoke about last year and actually it turns out Anya um, volunteered at and made, made coffee at. So, you know... Was, you were so it. busy last year. Everybody was all up for the free coffee. It was amazing. <laughs> I think Anya still looks a little bit traumatised. <laughs> so this breakfast, anyway, um, what is the Queer Space, Queer Space Christmas Breakfast? Well, it came out of there seemed to be a real need and a lot of individuals organising what people called orphans Christmases. And so we recognise that a lot of people um, don't have the best time around Christmas, especially people in LGBTIQ plus communities. And I think that um, we see like how much homelessness there is amongst people who are queer and also, um, a lot of people who are rejected from their families or isolated from their families or get rejected from their families um, in terms of rejection of their um, gender or sexuality. So um, we thought it would be great to put something on that is all-inclusive where people can come and like get a free breakfast, be amongst other queers and... It, if whether or not you celebrate Christmas or not, um, it's multi-faith, so there's it's going to cater for all sorts of people. There's there's some aspects of it that are a little Christmassy, but it's not like a Christmas event where it's going to be like in your face. So mm. I think the only Christmassy thing there'll be a drag queen called Frock Hudson dressed in like a red and white lycra outfit. <laughs> With a beer. <laughs> I love that. So I think that's the most Christmassy thing that will be there, and everything else will just be a really lovely day, a lovely morning in the park. We're going to be meeting at Edinburgh Gardens, and it's very much picnic style, but there'll be um, eggs, halal sausages, and vegan options. And um, there, it's there, last year there was a number of kids there, so we had like giant Jenga games, and it was just. Yeah, a lot of fun, and we hope to replicate it this year. Mm. So last year was the first time that... Yeah, last that year was the first time it had happened. And um, unfortunately, like, we lost two um, women in the community who had previously put on, not um, breakfast, but orphans Christmases. So one woman had um, organised a big Christmas Eve event where she'd invite anybody who didn't have family and she just invited them to her apartment and they set up a big giant tree and they were all involved in decorating and involved in the cooking. And then another woman, Yvonne Gardner, who passed away in the same year and she'd been um, organising a big Christmas lunch for 
Over, it would be around 30 years this year if she was still alive. And those lunches, thankfully, have continued and they started off for being for people who have um, HIV and are living, still living with HIV, but now that's been broadened out. But a lot, that is very much a ticketed event and it's for people who are, um, it's free, but mm. it's also like it's mostly aimed at people who are a bit older who mm. are supporting their people who have been living with HIV for many, many years. So I'll also be volunteering at that event straight afterwards. <laughs> but um, yeah, we were really inspired by that and we thought we'd put it on and Karen Field, the CEO, said, let's give it a go. Mm. Um, it was her idea to have a breakfast and we did it because in the morning is when a lot of people feel like that where people struggle the most and struggle to even like get out of bed and so giving people an excuse to get out of bed come and get a free feed and be amongst community members is something that we thought would be great and we tried it and we had about 200 people there hence why wow. you were so busy on the coffee machine <laughs> 200 that's yeah. that's incredible and can you give me a little taste of what of what it was like like how did it what did it feel like to be you know, doing something like that on Christmas Day and be around all those people, like, what was the mood? It felt really incredible. Like, so the amount of people that showed up really early, you got a sense that, like, some of those people you could tell were the most isolated and mm. they were nervous. We set out blankets all over the floor and we saw people just sitting on their own blanket. And so we'd organise volunteers to introduce the individuals. And so there was, it was so beautiful. There was some, like, quite young trans trans people that were just like really just incredibly nervous they were they weren't afraid to tell you how scared they were by the end of it some of these people were best friends and leaving together like they we organized people to sit together and it was your heart literally felt warm like afterwards mm. it was just really beautiful and we, we were really lucky um there's a a filmmaker that was there called Acacia and they um, were filming the event and they've made this beautiful little YouTube clip and interviewing people about why they're there and how the event, um, why they see the importance of an event like that. And it was just beautiful hearing their stories. So some people didn't have an event to go to on that day, but some people did and they knew that they were going to, when they see their family, they were going to be bombarded by this person's getting married, this person's pregnant, this, mm. like, oh, why don't you have a partner? <laughs> mm. And they knew that they were just going to face a lot of those heteronormative kind of pressures. And it was a way for them to kind of be embolden themselves a bit, give them a bit of strength in going into situations like mm. that. And it's amazing when we do come together as a community, every, like um, all different aspects of our communities come together. It, um, it was just really beautiful to yeah. see. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's an event that's not just for people who may not have anywhere to go for Christmas, but also for people who just feel like they need to get that, get be around their community at least for a bit before Yeah, a little shot of community. A, yeah. a, a little shot of community. Yeah. I think that's, that's really, really lovely. Um, in terms of the event... Um, you mentioned that it's in Edinburgh Gardens. It's yep. at the Rotunda. That's, that's yeah. correct, in Edinburgh yep. Gardens. What time does it start? So it kicks off at 8.30. You obviously don't have to get there that early, but people turned up quite early last time, mm -hmm. so we thought we'd give people that opportunity if they mm -hmm. want to come early again. Um, 
And so we'll be setting up from some ridiculous hour in the morning. Mm. And we've been really lucky to get um, a lot of food donated. So um, people can come and there'll be, so if people want to have a sense of what it looks like, there'll be lots of picnic blankets out on the ground. There'll be music playing and it'll be super low key, no pressure. So you don't have to dress up and be fancy, but at the same time, if you want to be fancy, go ahead. <laughs> but it's um, yeah, a really chill environment, and we encourage anybody to come down. And um, there'll be plenty of volunteers. There's somebody that's organising a lucky dip. Somebody um, is organising face painting and origami. We've got somebody that's uh, one of the volunteers will be having a yoga class in the park if people want to partake in that <laughs> and somebody will be giving massages wow. so it's just been incredible the amount of people um and it's one of the things we noticed last year like so many volunteers have come forth and I think it really shows how the act of giving also mm. is um just super important and really um often we found as well that people that want to give are people that also need that community themselves. And so if, yeah, if people want to come and help out, they also can. <laughs> but yeah, we really, um, just encourage people to come along and be a part of it. Great. So people can still, if people can volunteer if they'd like to volunteer, not, not just attend or, or do that. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's possible. Yeah. If they wanted to volunteer, um, would they have, would they want, would they want to get in touch in advance or what's the best Yeah, way? it would be great if they could because, we are encouraging people to go working with children's checks <laughs> because there will be children there. So, um, yeah, people can contact us via our Facebook page. Yeah. Or they can just turn up and attend yeah. as well. Yeah. Fantastic. And just one last question. If people want to find out about the event and turn up, where's the best place to, to get the details? So we're putting all our details up on our Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, but you could just Google Queer Space Free Breakfast and the details hopefully should come up. But, yeah, otherwise we've got a Facebook event that is um, that is live and I'm pretty yeah. sure it's just called Queer Space Free Breakfast. Yeah, I, I yeah. found it very easy. I just typed yeah. into Facebook Queer Space Breakfast yeah. and it popped up immediately with all the details. Yeah, and great. all the details on the website, on the Facebook page, are very, very detailed. It gives you transport information. It gives you accessibility information. So for anyone out there who's concerned about that, they'll be able to get everything everything they need. I think it's, a, it's very nicely, clearly outlined. Um, Ali, thank you so much for coming in to talk about this event. I think it sounds like a really important thing. And as you were describing the way it felt, I kind of felt myself tearing up. Yeah. It was really quite beautiful. And if I weren't having to go off and see my family for Christmas outside of Melbourne, I definitely, <laughs> definitely would be there. If only just to see Frock Hudson in, yeah. in the, uh, in the red, in the red yeah. lycra. I might put a picture up of last year so people can get excited. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I also really encourage people to look up the YouTube that Acacia made. It was just um, incredible. It's really, you get that sense of just how beautiful it was and how important the event Fantastic. was last year. And you were also saying while the song was playing, if anyone would be interested in performing at the event, please also get in touch. That's right, yeah. Space. Yeah, get in touch. Thank you so much. Ali Hogg from Queer Space. Thank you. 
3CR is a community radio licence holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music, programs for children and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in the operation of this station. Copies of the code are available from the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash who we are. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio with myself, Anya, Ayan, George, Zoya and Chris. Um, we're almost um, at the end of our show, but before we go, we've got one final chat with Sissy Austin. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sissy. Thank you. Sissy, congratulations, firstly. Um, do you want to tell us about yourself? And I don't want to break the news to listeners. Uh, why did I say congratulations? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm Sissy Austin, and I'm the one of the three elected members for the Southwest region um, for the First Peoples Assembly of Victoria. Beautiful. And what is the First Peoples Assembly of Victoria? The First Peoples Assembly, so the treaty process has been, treaty talks have been happening in Victoria for about um, three years now. And um, one of the actions within the, within the Constitution was to set up the treaty assembly, so the treaty assembly's 32 seats um, of um, Aboriginal people in Victoria. 21 of the seats were voted in by community and 11 of the seats were um, assigned to registered Aboriginal parties across the state. Mm. And how will this assembly fit into the treaty process? Um, So the treaty assembly, it's it's in action for three years. Um, there's there's kind of a agenda that's, I guess, already been set in a way um, and work for the treaty assembly members to start working on in the new year. Um, I guess it's yeah, it's setting the ground rules to negotiate treaties. So it's not the role of the assembly um, to actually, you know, negotiate treaties. It's the role of the assembly to set up. Um, the rules and mm-hmm. um, the frameworks around negotiating a treaty. Um, one of the other things is setting up an independent treaty authority. So I'm not quite sure what that will look like. Mm-hmm. And I guess now that we've got um, grassroots community mob and um, yeah, elected community members on board in a in a roundabout way, we I guess I'm um, I'm hoping that we can also shape. Um, shape the, the next um, three years in a way that's reflective of community as mm. well. So, yeah. yeah. And what made you decide to run for a seat? Um, I don't know. I think community have been, I guess, protesting for a treaty long before my, you know, my 25 years here on Earth. But my decision, I, I, I went to all the gatherings over the past three years and um, it's well known that I've been very critical of the treaty process over the last three years. I think there's been lots of voices 
left behind and a lack of accountability to community um, with those who are involved. And it was a decision right up until the end where it was either I stood back and, you know, watched it happen anyway or um, put myself out there as a candidate um, to potentially get elected and hope to, yeah, have a voice on the inside. So that was the decision I ended up making and I'm really grateful for the people that um, the community mob that voted for me and yeah I've, I've promised the community to stay accountable and honest and yeah that's what I'll do as a grassroots community member. Mm, and I I watched your speech um, I think it was last week wasn't it um, yeah. when, you, when you mentioned your dad and it was beautiful but how did it and this is something a lot of the members there talked about how did it feel being in that particular space? Um, I guess there was mixed feelings. Like I understood that it was um, about taking back, I guess, power in a way, and 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 us being in the building that you know contributed to and a lot of the pain and suffering of our people here in Victoria will not contributed to us began. And mm-hmm. um, I think. Um, I would have liked to have had a decision in whether we wanted to have the meeting there or not, which um, Assembly members didn't have a choice, which was a little bit disappointing. There was one member, Jason Kelly, who I mentioned in my speech, who just felt too um, traumatised and too upset to to physically be in that building to meet. So um, I acknowledge, I acknowledge, yeah, and understand both sides of it. But yeah, for me, it was mixed feelings and I was so grateful that my dad came um, with me. It, it took a long, it took about two weeks to convince him because, yeah, it's traumatic. It's, mm-hmm. it's really hard to, and it's completely different to what we're used to. We're used to protesting on the streets of, on the steps of Parliament, not actually being allowed to enter the building. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, I really appreciated it, everyone talking about it because, you know, that's something that you should think about, but yeah. people often don't about the colonial history of buildings, which, um, yeah. yeah, so that seemed a bit odd that they would have it there, but also good on you for speaking up about it. Um, yeah. And Susie, how can listeners support you and the Assembly and um, and everyone involved in this process? I think just, you know, follow follow the treaty journey. That there's, there's members across every region in the state, even though um, it's, uh, it's not a clan-based treaty. There's many, many, many clans that have been left behind. So um, talking to the voices and listening to the voices that aren't the, you know, aren't the same ones that we see all the time, like, you know, go outside the box of um, listening and learning from um, community members. So I think that's a really important, um, yeah, really important way to engage in the treaty process. Mm-hmm. and support it by, yeah, listening and providing voice to those that aren't the, you know, yeah. the ones that always get a say. Always a good reminder. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Sissy. That's all right. Thank you. Six years I've been in Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal Radio and um, you don't really get 
to do this match brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. I say this every week, but what a show. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true every week. <laughs> so this is our last live show for the year. What a year. Oh. What a show, what a year. I can't believe it's December. Yeah. <laughs> up on us. Are you, are you going to say I can't believe it's 2019? <laughs> they go faster every year, right? <laughs> it's 2020 in about three weeks. Oh new decade. Mm. Mm. New, new Year's glasses. But astrology <laughs> nerds, it's a big year, apparently. Is it? Yeah. I'm going to start doing my research. God. Those astrology nerds. Maybe I can have a segment. Chris and I can have a crying Pisces segment. Yes. yes. Finally, that we've wanted to do for so yeah. long. Yeah. Um, I'm crying. But before we said proper goodbye, we also wanted to foreshadow what's happening for summer. Yes. As listeners might remember, we did summer school last year. We did a 101 on very important topics such as self-determination, racism, feminism, disability, advocacy, prison abolition, and I'm forgetting something else, but there were six shows. Gender identity. Gender and sexuality. Gender and sexuality. And so we're doing a follow-up to summer school from last year. It's probably called Summer School Mm 2.0 if we don't get any more creative than that. Um, I think think that's great. Pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Um, but this time we'll be focusing on advocacy efforts in those spaces. I don't want to give too much away. You just have to listen. Mm. But for the next three weeks, we'll be doing some snippets of Summer School 1.0, yes. or the mm-hmm. first one. So if you missed it or you want to catch up, we'll share some of the highlights mm. over the next three weeks mm. from those six episodes. Yeah. So the idea is that, you know, you get, you'll get, you'll, You've had the foundation last year, or you'll re-get the foundation this year, mm. about what do all those things mean, because mm. obviously the point of summer school was it's saying this stuff shouldn't just be sitting in libraries and universities. Mm. Everyone should have access to this information and this knowledge and this, and this conversation and discourse. So there'll be a catch-up on that, and then the next step is looking at in what way are all those ideas being enacted out there out there in the world and what's and what's being done in those spaces and how does that connect with those concepts and ideas and and theories and Mm -hmm. so hopefully going going deeper um and obviously starting with the 101 but being able to explore the issues with more complexity which sometimes doesn't get to happen if you go to events or Mm -hmm. talks you know we had we had this issue last week for human rights day you just start getting into it and then the interview wraps up and you, you you know you run out of time so really having the space to explore these topics. 
Absolutely, exactly. So, you know, listeners out there, you're graduating from 1.0, <laughs> moving, moving up. You're, 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 you're in, you're in the, you're in yeah. the senior school now. Yeah. And I know it sounds condescending, but it's really not. No. Like, <laughs> really if is. I were to listen it back, really I was like, who do they think they are? <laughs> what, what, the, 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 that summer no, school sounded condescending. We're learning. We're, and yeah, we're yeah, doing yeah. that. I think that's also yeah. important for I us. Think we learned, we yeah. learned a huge amount last mm. time. And some of the episodes, like the racism episode, was downloaded almost a thousand times. Yeah. An amazing episode. People got a lot out of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I joined the team just as a behind-the-scenes listening-in kind of person, just as mm. summer school was wrapping up, yeah. and it was it was such a wonderful introduction to 3CR, to the breakfast shows, to what what it is that we do here. I thought it was so fantastically put together, not in not in any way condescending. I learnt so much from it, and you know, I'm someone who studied a lot of that stuff at uni, and I still feel like I learned about it in a different way and in um, in, in a better way in mm. in many cases because you're hearing from the people who are engaged in this stuff and you're mm. having real conversations rather than just having a book thrown at you by a by a lecturer on a stage. Yeah. Mm. And we'll bring back the school bell sounds. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're in a bit um, yeah. hectic on it towards the end of the <laughs> summer school, but it was fun. So if we haven't convinced you to listen... By now, then, then nothing the will. <laughs> then nothing will. <laughs> so keep listening throughout summer, and yes. we'll be back with you in about three weeks. I want to say. Yeah. Yes. And have a lovely end to the year. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs>